Right now, we're between series. We just finally finished up the book of Matthew, um, which I really enjoyed and was, I think it was a really uh, big blessing for our church. And uh, next week, we're about to be getting into um, a series on family discipleship called Grow at Home. So we'll be doing that for um, about a month. And so that means that today, we, Luke said that I can talk about whatever I want. So uh, I hope that he doesn't regret that. Um, <laughs> does anybody know who that is? Okay, then you're probably not a real Christian. Uh, <laughs> that is Ricky Bobby, all right? Um, Ricky Bobby was a, uh, a guy who drove race cars in a movie called Talladega Nights, and you probably shouldn't watch it. Uh, I'm not advocating it. Uh, I don't, don't send me an email or anything like that uh, after this, but um, there is one scene in the movie that really sticks with me uh, and with a lot of people, and um, it is while Ricky Bobby is in the middle of his first interview, uh, and he says, he puts his hands up here, and he goes, I'm not sure what to do with my hands. And throughout the entire interview, he keeps touching the microphone and keeps sticking his hands up, and the guy's like, just put your hands down. Um, and today, um, I'm afraid that a lot of us don't know what to do with our hands. Okay? Uh, let me explain, like, where is this going? Our verse today, uh, oh, sorry, I actually just have it right here, I didn't put up a slide for it comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Um, it's a really short verse. I'll probably be finished reading it by the time you get there, unless you're just like, unless you were in Bible club as a kid. But um, the verse goes like this. It says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. If you haven't guessed by now, or if you haven't figured it out, uh, the hands thing is a metaphor, okay? It's a metaphor for work. It's a metaphor for um, what we do with our hands uh, being how we work. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but work is a really big part of our lives. Maritza likes to say this, point out this really encouraging fact uh, to me sometimes. Uh, she says, if you have a full-time job, you spend more, most days, you spend more of your waking hours at work than you do at home. Oh, wow, thank you for that uh, encouraging tidbit. That's, and, I, and then I tell her that's why I don't get a full-time job. But the Bible, you know, work is a big part of our lives, and work uh, is actually really important to God. Don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, the Bible has quite a lot to say about our work. And so today I want to just take a look, uh, primarily looking at this text that we just read, um, and looking at what the Bible has to say about your work, okay? Because God cares about it. So I'm just going to pray for us real quick and then we'll get into it. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, just ask you to come and do uh, what you want to do in our midst this morning. God, I want to release to you um, every desire and every need that I have to uh, be entertaining or to be funny or to be motivational or 
do some kind of work in anyone's life. I invite you to just come do what you want to do. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and move and come to convict and come to encourage and ultimately just draw us to Jesus today and mold us in his image. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, I want to take a look at uh, three different guys, uh, the ones that we just read about um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, okay? And here's the first one. It says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Um, This is the first guy I want to talk about, is the fool. Uh, Literally, uh, the, the more literal translation of this verse says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Yuck. It's kind of gruesome, but he's trying to paint a picture, and he's trying to paint this picture, and it's something that Maritza likes to tell me a lot. I think she thinks that I don't work hard enough, because she tell, gives me a lot of these little one-liners about work, uh, but she says a lot. She'll say, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? If you don't work, you don't eat, and I, my thought was I just didn't, and I didn't eat it, it was because my wife didn't cook. Uh, but she works full time. Okay, she's the she's the breadwinner. I am the stay at home dad. Okay, just so you guys know, that's uh, that's how that works. And I cook, and it's pretty good. But the idea here is that if you don't work, you don't eat. All right, and. In America, uh, we're pretty uh, insulated from this reality of life. Um, for most of us, you can, an American can get their hands on food. Even if you don't work, you, know, you can find a place on the street corner and people will give you money and you can go eat if that's what you're actually trying to do with that money. Okay? And I know that people are hungry, but man, we have food banks in America. You can... What I'm saying is, for the most part, people can get away with not working, but still eat, okay? But for pretty much all of the rest of human history before 100 years ago, that was not the case. If you don't work, you really didn't eat. If you didn't earn your own living, nobody was going to take care of you, and that's the reality for most of the people in the world still today, okay? Now, forget not, just not eating. Uh, The Bible says that if you're not working, uh, it's actually bad for you. And the Proverbs say a lot about this. Um, I'm not going to read any more of them because we have a lot to cover, but you know, just some of the things that I think of, uh, maybe you're familiar with these too, is uh, Solomon says, go look at the ant, you sluggard. The sluggard is a guy who comes up many times in the book of Proverbs. I just, it's kind of fun to say, sluggard. Uh, it's like a really, it's a good word for it, you know, it like paints a picture of the, like, picture a man slug. Uh, is essentially what, what this guy is. Well, that's how I do it. But you got this guy who just essentially does nothing, and he says, you sluggard, go look at the ant. They, uh, whenever summer comes around, they store up their food, and they make sure that they have provisions, and then, uh, you know, you got these other passages, like a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like an armed robber. And so the Bible has a lot to say about laziness. Uh, the Apostle Paul is actually, uh, he speaks really strongly about this in the New Testament, um, and Jonathan read this earlier, so I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but at the beginning, listen to the, how strong this language is that Paul uses. He says, 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from any believer who is idle and disruptive. He said, anyone who is lazy, anyone who refuses to work, he said, you need to stay away from them. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine saying that today? If there was somebody here who refused to get a job, or somebody here who, you know, was refusing to work, and the pastor got up and said, stay away from that guy! Nobody talk to him until he gets a job! Be like, wow, that guy's mean. That's what Paul was saying. That's how serious it was, because Paul saw it as what it was. He saw that it was a poison that was infecting not just that own person's life, but everyone who is in the community. See, Paul said, I set an example for you guys when I was with you. And he said, when I was with you, he talks about this a lot even in other places in the New Testament, is he says that he, he, he talks about how he has this right as an apostle to show up and work for them in spiritual matters and preach the gospel to them and do miracles among them. And then in return, they should be, you know, giving him something to eat and taking care of him. But he said, I forsake that right everywhere I go so that I can set an example for you i.e. the example that if you don't work, you don't eat. That there should be nobody among you who can work and doesn't, and who's being lazy and being a burden on the other people around him. And so Paul uses this really strong language telling us that being lazy is a huge problem. I was having a conversation with um, with a, uh, how do I say this? Uh, with a teenager, I'll just say that. I was having a conversation with a teenager I just met, and I was kind of doing uh, that normal, like, initial get-to-know-you conversation, where you just ask, like, the normal teenager questions, and, uh, you know, like, do you have any siblings? Do you play any sports? Do you like video games? All this stuff. And then I got to uh, the question. I said, what do you want to do after high school? And he said, and he didn't hesitate at all. He said, you know what, uh, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos, and um, I have figured out the way uh, I'm going to be an investor. So I'm going to be an investor so that I can make my money work for me so I don't have to work. And this kid was not a trust fund baby, okay? And so uh, I didn't have the heart to tell him uh, at the time, and so I do what I kind of normally do. If and Okay, and I'm going to let you in on a little secret if you haven't learned this about me already. If I say this, I'm judging you, okay? Uh, if you say something to me and I say, hmm, I'm judging you in that moment, okay? Uh, so just fair warning, all right? So I didn't have the heart to tell him at the time, so I just went, hmm. But uh, I didn't want to break his heart, you know, but I will stand up here and talk about him behind his back, Okay? <laughs> I don't have the heart to tell him, you have to actually have money to invest money. And if you don't have it, you're probably going to have to get a job and work for that money before you can invest it. But 14-year-olds don't really, like, think that far ahead, you know. Uh, But, you know, I don't really have much room to talk because there's this, like, there's this famous story uh, from my family. They never let me live it down. Whenever I was a little kid, they asked me what I wanted to do, uh, Whenever I grew up, and uh, a little bit of backstory, my dad works with computers. He's worked with computers my whole life, and a lot of times he'd work from home, and so I'd get to see him working in his office. And so when they asked me what I want to do when I grew up, I said, I'll do what my dad does, I guess. It looks pretty easy. I mean, all I did, I just walked in there, I saw him, and like, clack, 
just working on the computer. Um, and so what me and that student failed to understand is that work is not a curse. It's a blessing. I don't know if you uh, have ever noticed this uh, or not, but in the Bible, um, Adam was working before sin came into the world. Work was given by God before the fall. Um, this verse in Genesis 2, it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it. And there's not very many people here today, so I need you guys to like read louder and amen louder and laugh louder. To work it and to take care of it. And this was before sin entered the world. Work is not a curse. Work is actually a blessing. See, you and I were designed to contribute. You and I were designed to do something productive. You and I were designed to, to teach, to build, to create, to study, to raise children, to do something that is of value and something that is productive. And I don't even need to, uh, usually if I try to say something like this, I usually like to like have some kind of... Um, science or, you know, an article or something to back it up, but I think everybody knows this. Think about the people in your life who don't work. Are they very happy? Usually not. If you look at people, uh, and there is, there is, like, studies on this. I just didn't quote them, but, like, people, if you take a group of men who are working and a group of men who are not working, the ones who are not working, and we're talking about people who are able-bodied, you know, people who can actually work, the levels of depression and anxiety and all that stuff goes way up in which group do you think? The people who are not working, okay? God created us to have a sense of purpose, to contribute, to do something of value. It is foolish for us to try to be like this guy and fold our hands and think our life will be better for it. A lot of people, a really, really large group of people in the world believe the less I work, the happier I will be. And that's just a lie. This is not true. The Lord created us to work, and it's a good thing. Okay, now I want to talk to the workaholics for a second. To those of you in your seat who are like, yeah, you lazy sluggards, man slugs. move on to the next verse. It says, better is one handful with peace than two handfuls with toil chasing after the wind. I want to talk a little bit about that, that last one, okay? Better with two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. You see, we got this guy, okay, first we had the sluggard, the first one who just doesn't, doesn't really want to do anything, you know, um, and then you have this other guy, though, who is the opposite, okay? Talking about the go-getter, the guy who is getting stuff done, the guy who is making money, the guy who is working hard to make sure he gets noticed by his boss, he's working overtime, he's staying late, he's working weekends to make sure that he can get the raise so he can get more money and have a better life, okay? We're talking about this guy, okay? He's got two handfuls, all right? And by golly, he earned it because he worked hard for it, okay? With his toil, right? There's this idea, um, there's this word that 
that the kids say called hustle. Okay? That's the big thing, all right, is hustle. Uh, I looked up, I, I, got, I looked it up in the dictionary, uh, albeit the Urban Dictionary. Uh, I'm not advocating that you go to that website either. Uh, but the idea of hustle, as the slang term is, says to strive headstrong and voraciously towards a goal, to seek out and acquire sums of money, preferably large sums, often by unscrupulous means. I like that part where it says preferably large sums. Uh, that's pretty good. Everyone knows about the hustle, okay? Uh, and in our culture, I talked about there's a group of people who say, you know what, if I work less, I'm going to be happier. Well, there's a no whole other group here where they are the opposite. The more I work, the more I get, the happier I will be. And that is the hustler, okay? That is the idea of the hustle. And if you want to learn how to be a hustler, if you want to hustle, there is no shortage. This is just from searching the word hustle in Spotify. You will find a million podcasts of experts in the hustle that are going to teach you about how you can make more money, how you can get a better job, how you can uh, start a side hustle and make more money and earn for whatever for this. It's a really big deal in our culture today. Okay? We've even Christianized it a little bit. Stay humble, but hustle hard. This one's my favorite. Pray, hustle, repeat. Okay, that's good. You could crochet that and put it up, whatever you do with a crochet. But I want to tell you that the idea of the hustle is bogus. The idea of working as hard as you can to get as much as you can is not a Christian ideal. You won't find anything like that here in this Bible. Okay? Here's what I mean. <clears throat> if you go back to Genesis, you know, I showed you before um, where Adam is uh, talking about um, where God says that Adam... Uh, was put in the garden to work it and to, um, and to, oh, you know what? That's why I'm getting messed up because I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Okay. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, okay? And I know that we've hit this scripture a lot, um, me and Luke, I think, over the past year or so, but I think that it's because it's really important. There are a few reasons that people hustle, and the reason, and I think that neither of them are good, okay? And the first reason, I think, is just straight-up greed, okay? Read with me uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. I think I actually have it up here. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
You probably remember we've talked about this. Like I just said, we've talked about it a few times. Uh, We've been talking about it a lot lately. But here's the reason. Can you think of anything else in the Bible that the New Testament warns so with warns against with such strong language? I think the problem is a lot of us have heard this phrase a whole lot of times in church. Oh, the love of money is the root of all evil. And we kind of explain it and we're like, oh, but it's the love of money. So, you know, it's not money itself. And so if you make sure that you have stuff and your stuff doesn't have you, you know, you're fine. Which is all true. That's true. But I think that we get away from it so quickly and we don't actually sit here long enough and see how extreme this language is. Because I think if it was anything else, we would probably be way more careful and examine our hearts way more for this disease. Look at some of the language it says right here. Imagine something. Imagine we're not talking about money. Imagine we're just talking about any other entity, any other thing. It says it's something that causes people to fall into temptation and a trap. And it plunges people, this thing plunges people into ruin and destruction. This thing is the root of all kinds of evil. And it says that this thing has caused people to wander away from the faith. That means that this thing is strong enough to pull people away from Jesus. And I think that that's something that we need to keep coming back to, especially as we are in a time and place where this is the God, the most, this is the strongest competition for God in our world, is this thing, the love of money. And it's all around us, and it's shouting at us, and people are telling us that we need it all the time. It's something that we need to be a little bit more vigilant about. I think it's something that we need to keep coming back to constantly and examining our hearts of, yeah, I know that it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, but I really want to make sure that this is not in me. Because look at how evil it is. Look at how dangerous it is. So what's the alternative, right? Like, what's the alternative of the love of money? Well, he says it. It's right there. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Isn't contentment a really nice word? It makes you feel good. Like, I want to be content. That's like a really nice thing, it sounds like. But I think that it sounds really nice, but I think that if most of us actually saw it, we actually don't want anything to do with it. Look at this. Paul says those, uh, sorry, right before that. says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Have you ever spoken, ever in your life, have you ever spoken to an able-bodied, competent, grown American adult who said, if I just have food and clothes, I'll be happy with that? Ever. I have never had that conversation with someone. And I imagine if I did, I wouldn't respect that person. I wouldn't be filled with admiration for that person. I would probably think that they're a wacko. I would probably think of them as unmotivated or foolish. Be like, well, what if this happens? Well, what if there's a recession? You know, there's probably going to be a recession. Then what are you going to do? 
Contentment sounds good, but are we really okay? Are we ready to say what that guy, are we ready to say what Paul is saying? Are you ready to actually say and mean, yeah, if I just have my daily needs covered, food, clothing, I'll be good. I'm not there yet, but we need to get there. And I'm not saying go and sell all your house and your stuff and empty out your savings accounts and go get rid of your 401k and all that stuff, but I'm saying that if contentment is right here and greed is right here, I think most of us are closer to here than we are right here. Can we agree on that? And we need to make steps closer to getting over here. And so I think this is a big reason that most people feel the need to hustle, all right? I think most people who are out there hustling, who are getting the side hustle, who are working overtime, who are trying to get a promotion, most of them, a lot of them are not doing it so that they can, I'm trying to feed my kids, you know? And I want to hit that real quick for just a second, okay? Uh, Maritza uh, was telling me last night about a story where she was talking with her boss, and uh, they were, you know, this was a season a few years ago where, he was doing a lot to um, try and obtain just more store. You know, he's a business owner, and so he was trying to start up more locations and, you know, make more money, and he was just really going hard after it, and, you know, he was hustling. And so, Maritza, <laughs> one of the things that I love about my wife, and you probably, if you know her at all, you know this about her too, is she's very blunt, <laughs> okay? Um, and she'll tell you, if you ask her, she'll t- and me and Becky were talking about this this morning, she, if you ask her, she'll tell you uh, what she's thinking. And she said to her boss, uh, she said, why are we doing all this? She said, why are, you, why are you trying so hard to, uh, you know, get all these extra stores? Like, what's, like, what's the, in- is there an end goal here? Like, is there something that we're shooting for? Or, like, are we just trying to make, like, as much money as possible? And he just kind of was like, well, I don't know. I never really thought about it like that. Um, They said, I guess I'm just trying to have a better life for my kids. There has been more greed justified by that statement than I think any other. Can we agree on that? How much do your kids need? And if we take this to its logical conclusion, have you looked at the kids who get everything they want? Is that our goal? Let's redefine what a better life for our kids looks like. How about teaching them and raising them up in the way of the Lord and showing them what radical generosity looks like and showing them what it looks like to trust the Lord to be your provider? That, I think, is going to be a better life for my kids. Now, <clears throat> I will say this, is I am not ignorant to the fact that a lot of people who are hustling, a lot of people who are working really, really hard are not doing it for greed, but they're really just trying to make it, okay? And I want to talk about that for just a second, um, because that's where I think that um, just the Bible and the Lord um, and having a relationship with him gets really beautiful. If you go to, now, we're going to go to that thing that I got lost on a few minutes ago, is Genesis chapter 3, okay? Remember, God put Adam in the garden, he told him to work it and take care of it, and that work was good, and that work was a blessing, but then, Adam and Eve sinned, okay? And sin entered the world, and it disrupted God's paradise, 
end. This is what God said. He said, Cursed is the ground because of you. He said, Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. This is a little different from what Adam had experienced before. Adam before knew what it was like to have a purpose and to produce and to do something meaningful and it be a blessing on his life and be something that's good. But now, God was saying, now, because of sin, when sin enters the picture, this is what work is going to look like for you. It's going to look not like a blessing, but more like a curse. It's going to be something that's hard for you. It's going to be something that you wish that you were not doing. And this word that he uses uh, right there, uh, this Hebrew word shows up really just a few times in the Bible. There's a a lot of actually different words for work and toil and all that stuff. Uh, But this word in particular is a word that means painful toil, painful work, or uh, anxious work. It's this idea of working and uh, I have to do this and it's hard and if I don't do this then I'm not going to be okay. I'm doing this just to make it, just to survive, okay? It's that kind of idea, that kind of work. And it's used a few more times in the Bible, and I think that those places are really helpful as we talk about this. This verse, Psalm 127, too, says, It is vain for you to rise early, come home late, and work so hard for your food. This is also, this is uh, right after that verse that all of us know really well, where God says, uh, if the laborers build the house alone, they build it in vain. Um, the Lord must build the house. Um, so it says, in vain you rise early and come home late and you work so hard for your food. Uh, literally, what it says um, is, it's vain for you to rise early come home late and eat the bread of anxious toil. I think that's really helpful. That it's vain for you to work really, really hard. Vain meaning like it, it's meaningless for you to work so hard just so that you can make ends meet. It's meaningless for you to get up early and come home late and work overtime and get the side hustle and be and, and trying to work so hard just so that you can make it. This is really offensive if you are in that position. It's easy for you to say up there. And so, I mean, uh, Murad says, Dad, I mean, I think about him. Um, he should be retired by American standards, but he still works outside uh, and does manual labor in the 105-degree heat for 157 days in a row like it is, whatever, the rec- whatever we're at right now. Um, and I imagine that this would be offensive to him, that I have to do this to make it. And I would say, yeah, um, for a lot of people that is the reality. And that is the reality uh, just that our world lives in because of Genesis chapter 3, where sin entered the world and caused our good, blessing work to turn into painful, anxious toil. Just trying to make it, okay? So how can the psalmist, this is Solomon, how can Solomon say It's meaningless to do that. It's literally survival. This is why. Solomon knew of a greater reality 
than just surviving by your own anxious toil. And it's a relationship with a father who's a provider. This is what it goes on to say. It says, it's vain for you to rise early and come home late and eat the bread of anxious toil. Why is that meaningless? Why is that vain? Because he provides for those whom he loves even while they sleep. Your translation may say something like, um, he gives sleep to the ones he loves. But the point is the same, is that he's saying it's meaningless to work so hard, it's meaningless to hustle because God wants to take care of you. You see, even back in the Old Testament, where you know, Jesus had not come yet, the kingdom had not come yet, the great reversal hadn't happened yet, even back in the Old Testament when Solomon's writing this, God was already offering partnership with him where they didn't have to live in the sin-cursed uh, situation of having to do it all on your own and, to, and totally be your own provider. God said, if you come and you partner with me, if you enter into relationship with me, I will provide for you even while you sleep. This verse may be one that's a little more familiar. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. It's that same word. Solomon writing this again. Without anxious toil for it. I want you to know, by the way, that if you uh, own a car and uh, you are able to pay for your groceries when you get to the store and uh, you have food over your head, uh, you're rich. Stop comparing yourself to that other guy at work or the other guy down the street for basically all of human existence. Like, that was pretty wealthy. So we're, not talk, this is, we're not talking here about the Lord getting you a, a private jet or, you know, vacation house and wherever. It's talking about the Lord taking care of you. Where you don't have to toil for everything that you have. I was, um, I think everybody knows who that guy is, probably. Kevin Hart. Uh, uh, I was watching a documentary with him in it, and it was a documentary about his life, um, and this was uh, a few years ago, was, I think it was like 2019 is when this thing came out. He's a busy dude, okay? Um, they go through, the whole first episode is uh, uh, just a day in his life. They called it, the t- I like the title of the episode, is 24 Kevin. 24-7. Anyway, um, they go and they, he wakes up and he goes to the gym and at like 5 o'clock in the morning and he works out for like two hours and then after that he leaves the gym and he goes to work and um, he takes a look at his day and he goes into the recording studio and he starts recording for an animated movie that he was doing, um, that he was working on at the time. Then after that, he leaves, he, go takes, he goes and takes a shower, then he goes and he walks into his next meeting where they are discussing his, uh, just all the things that he's got going on right now. And uh, talk about the three movies that he was currently working on that year. Uh, they talked about um, his, uh, 
He had a comedy show going on on cable TV that he was doing. He had a serious XM, um, another comedy show that he was doing on the radio that was a separate thing. And he also runs a production company that he himself is making and producing movies through, uh, that they were going to be making several movies with that that year. And then, also, to tag on to that, his comedy tour that was going to be happening that year, where he was doing 150 shows in one year and in four different continents. And this is before lunch. And so he runs home for lunch, and uh, he's talking on the cell phone, uh, talking to Basically, doesn't put it down the entire time, taking calls from 15 different people. He gets home. Uh, he has a family. He has a wife, and he has a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. And he goes home. He's there for 10 minutes, eats some lunch, and gets out and goes and does his next thing, where he goes and takes meetings the rest of the day, trying to put together movies and trying to do whatever. And then it fast-forwards. It's dark outside. He's in his office, and his wife is calling him and asking him where he's going, and he's apologizing and saying he's about to be on his way home. And at the end of the episode, there's this guy interviewing him, and he says, man, Kevin, like, you're the busiest guy I know. Why are you hustling? And he says, without, again, without hesitation, he says, because I've been broke. And he did. I mean, his, his mom was dirt poor. Single mother raised him. He had nothing. But he said, because I'm broke, and I ain't going back. Now, I think it's up for each of us to decide whether or not like that. He's worth $150 million at the time of that conversation. So can someone actually be afraid of being broke uh, when you have $150 million? Uh, I don't know. I've never been broke and then had $150 million. I would love, I've, I'd love to try it. But I'll think, I think I can leave that up to us to see if that's just a disguise for greed or if that's him actually afraid of that. There's a good chance that he may actually feel like he needs to do this and make so much money that he will never be broke again. And what breaks my heart for him and people like him is statements like that, if they're true, shows that they believe that they are utterly alone in this universe. Could you imagine having $150 million and saying, I need to make sure that I'm taken care of? He has no God to provide for him while he sleeps. So he can't sleep. He has to work. He has to hustle. And what I want to ask you today, is there any difference, if anybody looked at your life, is there any difference between you and Kevin Hart? Do people look at your life and kind of question and wonder, wow, they don't seem to be super concerned about making a whole lot of money. Seems to be some kind of trust in them that I don't have. There may be somebody here in this room who falls into that second category of, man, I have been working my tail off because I'm trying to make it, and I really am trying to feed my kids. I really am trying to have a good life for them. I'm not trying to make sure that each of them has their own boat. To you, I want to invite you into trusting God to be your provider, into trusting God 
to partnering him, partnering with him, with your money, partnering with him, with your time, and taking your hands off the wheel for a minute and saying, you know what, I don't have to provide for me because I have a provider. It is a meaningful, meaningful thing that God is called Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. It's part of his nature as he longs to provide. And one of my favorite things about God, and one of the things that's drawn me the closest to him in my life is seeing him come through and provide for me and Maritza whenever we've needed it. But we only get there whenever we put ourselves in a position of trust. I will propose that those of you who are working your tail off just to get by, you might get to your grave and you, maybe you made it, maybe you fed your kids, but did you ever get the opportunity to, to trust God and see him move and take care of you with your money? Take care of him with your bread. If you're the person who says, I don't have enough money to tithe, you're probably the person who needs to do it the most. Because God will do more with your 90 than you will do with your 100, and you will get the privilege and the honor of co-laboring with God and letting him see see and seeing him come through for you in your finances. But most of us, I think, probably aren't in that situation. I think most of us have so much that we don't know what it's like to have God provide for us because we provide everything we need. What if we started giving so much that we actually had a taste of what it means to need God to provide for us again. I think that's where he wants us to live. I think he wants us to know what it's like to give radically, to give generously. He gave everything. Says the Bible loved the, the, he said, the Bible says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. It's who he is. We have to be like him. We have to know what it means to give and give radically. And I think when we do, we're brought into this place where we need him again. We're brought in this place where we can see him come through as provider again in our lives. I didn't really plan a real good conclusion or anything like that for this lesson. That's probably why I went 16 minutes over. Um, but... Your work matters to the Lord, but it's not. I guess I'll finish with this. God made you to work, but he didn't make it to be who you are. You are more than just a tool. You are more than just an employee. You are more than just fill in the blank. You are a child of God. You're a worker in his kingdom, and your life is so much bigger than what you are doing to make money. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much for the privilege to be, to receive from you, Lord, that nobody here has to know what it's like to eat the bread of anxious toil. You long for us to be able to rest, you long for us to be able to sleep soundly. 
knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt that our Father is going to provide. God, I pray that you would just, Holy Spirit, would you do what you need to do in each person's heart right now? Lead us to what's next for us. What's the next step we need to take, Lord Jesus? We love you and we pray all of this in your name.